Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the wild card loss to the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati uh, just last night. Uh, not a great discussion, but at least we're talking about the defense, which is something we've been saying the last few weeks pretty much since Lamar has been, been hurt. Here to join me to talk about it is my friend Voss Larikos. Voss, how you doing? Uh, always sad when the Ravens season comes to an end. No question about it, whether we thought that this was going to be their year or not. So uh, a little bit of a, a cloudy Monday, so to speak. But um, otherwise, doing well, and I thought the defense turned in a, you know, a championship caliber performance. Really was was outstanding on on their part. Uh, they did everything that they had been doing. They basically repeated their performance from last week against the Bengals. I thought in pretty much across the board, uh, maybe the one exception being they allowed two out of two red zone scores. But we'll we'll talk about that a little bit as we as we go on here. Need a shout out to our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. They've been good to us. Been kind of a whirlwind 22 hours now since the game ended for me. And, you know, you get a sense of what being visiting media like is. Sorry. Yeah, visiting media is from this game because actually I'm on the flight and all the Baltimore Ravens media was on on the way back on Southwest this morning. And uh, uh, it's uh, it's not a pleasant overnight trip to, to uh, you know, go in on Sunday morning, go to the game Sunday night, and then – uh, you're up at 3.30 after the game, so there's not a lot of time to sleep or go out and have a drink or anything after the game. You can stay up if you want. Some people clearly had done that at the airport. Not going to tell Ron that. No members of the Ravens media did that, as far as I can tell. <laughs> but uh, but then, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a flight home, and then you're tired as hell, and it's, and it's digging into this game, which how much of us really want to rewatch this game at this point? Um, you know, it's uh, especially just the way the second half unfolded. You felt optimistic. You're walking in thinking you have a puncher's chance. And they really they felt like they had it, 
you know, they had it not, I don't want to say they had it in hand, but they were on the cusp of, of really making that, that upset play. And then Mm -hmm. it, it, in the blink of an eye, you know, it changes and, you know, now we're on to the off season, unfortunately. Yeah, it really, really did. And honestly, a 14 point turnaround play there. You look at that play in Ravens history and it's, it's kind of the, anti-Washington Mitchell play that of the block field goal in 2000 that resulted in a 10-point swing that propelled the Ravens to really the Super Bowl win because that was the only team that could stand on the field with them was the the Tennessee Titans as we were to find out Uh, that play had a 10-point swing in a game I don't think the Ravens would have won if they'd gone down three at that point they just had shown nothing offensively in that game Yep, uh, you know that was uh, and that was also the game where Ed Reed. I'm sorry, Ray Lewis took the ball from Eddie George and took it back. So, you know, you need some of those plays, and they were just on the wrong side of it. And it's it it reminds me of the uh, of the Buffalo of the Buffalo playoff loss two seasons yeah. ago. Definitely some parallels. Yeah, there's a there's another good one, and obviously the Ravens now have a few of these plays in their history. They've also got the Mile High Miracle on their own side, so it hasn't all all been bad news. But there's been definitely some very sharp postseason defining plays in Ravens history. And that's the NFL. That's I, I don't think that's exclusive to the Ravens, though the Ravens have certainly had some extreme ones. Um that's uh that's a you know life in the NFL postseason as it is. Uh, you know one thing I really liked about this game was the way the Ravens retook control after those initial first two drives by the Bengals. They were down 25 to 5 in snaps at that point really looked like the Huntley-led offense was miserable. You know, basically with the interception on that first drive, they 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 won the toss, they deferred, they allowed a long drive that ended up being a, you know, a stop from the, at the 21-yard line, almost a red zone stop, but at the 21 to, to force the field goal. And then they allowed another long touchdown drive on that second drive. And after that point, and that turnover by Huntley, they're at 25-5 to five in snaps on the game and 9 to nothing on the scoreboard. It looked like the game could easily get away from them at that point. It was uh, they really showed some spine there to step up and, and turn the tide. Um, and really the defense, I thought, especially the, the drives in the second quarter, what really started to give the Ravens some momentum carrying into halftime and that third quarter, which where they performed pretty well. Yeah, the defense absolutely outstanding for the remainder of the game. Uh, they allowed Effectively, what did they allow? They 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 did not allow the touchdown on the return, so that got them to six. They did allow one touchdown, one field goal, um, mm-hmm. in the uh, in the second half or the in the remainder of that game. But they won snap count after being down twenty five to five. They won snap count the rest of the way seventy five to thirty nine. That's almost a two to one advantage, mm-hmm. and pretty impressive. Uh, defensive performance the rest of the way. I know a lot of the Bengals fans are going to point to the offensive line injuries being a big deal for them, and I don't doubt that they were. They they had their way uh, with uh, Jackson Carmen at left tackle, who had not played very much at all after being a guy that talked about a lot in this draft. Yeah, uh, he played tackle for Clemson, and he just doesn't have the foot speed to play tackle at the next level. That's pretty apparent. Jonah Williams – uh, I believe it was reported this evening that he had a dislocated kneecap, which knocked him out of the game, and now he's week to week potentially. But yeah, well, you know, Cincinnati entered this game with, uh, you know, some questions on the right side, and then to lose your left tackle, that that contributed for sure. Um, but the Ravens, you know, it's a complimentary game, and the offense shortened the game effectively by keeping. The the by staying on the field with some longer drives, but the defense also has to do their part to get uh, Cincinnati off the field, and they did not have a first down in the fourth quarter um, after uh, you know some some defensive meltdowns the Ravens had in the fourth quarter this year. So I was I thought that was a plus. Right. Now I thought I thought they did a good job there. I've got to correct myself. That Jackson Carmen was actually in the entire class of under length offensive tackles from 2021 so he's in there with eichenberg who's done nothing at the nfl level jackson carmen a guy a lot of ravens fans wanted on the right side um right tackle uh into the first round jenkins yeah that's the guy yeah tevin jenkins yeah uh, so, so you know, is there, there were a whole lot of guys who weren't really of tackle length, but there was a tackle length for for 2021 that was just a little different. Uh, and uh, anyway, an interesting an interesting class of of future guards, <laughs> no doubt in terms of, <laughs> right. of what they are. But anyway, uh, 
the Ravens did. I thought they did pretty well continuing to to give pressure. I thought that that in particular, Tyus Bowser had a good game of pressure. We'll talk about some individual players later, um, and and what they did. But maybe moreover than that, the the Bengals were forced to play pretty much the same game offensively that they did in Week 18. And you know, one of the things we talked about was that the Bengals are holding back on some stuff too. They left some plays on the field in that week 18 game, couple an overthrow on the left side to a wide open Higgins, uh, a drop by chase in the end zone on the right side. Um, and, and, you know, Bengals fans were looking at that as we're going to exploit queen over the middle and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, and honestly, the Ravens did a great job of forcing them into exactly the same game they played last week. Definitely. No question. The Ravens and Mike McDonald dictated terms to Burrow, I thought, and they, you know, obviously they they made some plays, but they were mostly what what McDonald was allowing them to make. You know, with the, with the zones he was calling and the game plan, and that's three games now where McDonald has really, uh, you know, tested Burrow. A lot of the national pundits are excited for that battle, that matchup going forward because uh, they think it's a chess match between two of the better better options there. It's it's nice that McDonald is um, settling in. And and obviously he has a lot of the pieces now that he needs. Early in the season, obviously very much uh, laboring under a lack of of quality outside linebackers. That's not the problem anymore, uh, or at least you know it's not the problem. You may see your coworkers cracking open a can in your nine a.m. stand up meeting, but it's most likely not beer. It's a new mountain spring water called Liquid Death. You've heard me talk about this many times. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. Plus, its infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to be a, bring a death to plastic bottles. Did you know plastic's not even really recyclable anymore? It ends up just going to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Meanwhile, aluminum is recyclable and profitable for recycling facilities. You guys know how much I love Liquid Death. It's in everything I do. I take it to work. I take it to the ball club. I take it when I'm out with the kids. I got them right here on my can on my desk because I'm recording a podcast. I'm always with it. What's cool now is I'm seeing you guys on Twitter talk about how you're grabbing your cans and going to work. So send me those stories about what you're doing and how you're cracking open a tall boy in odd situations because hey, it's water. And not only is it water, it's the best water that you can go out there and buy. It's cold. You can drink it with whatever you're doing. So go on out there, get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool by going to liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Wasn't the problem last night. Next, <laughs> next next year, you know, the couple of the, the guys may not be here. We don't know if Houston and JPP are going to be around. Uh, so it'll be David Ajabo uh, getting more snaps, and there'll be somebody else coming in, whether that's a, a pass, a a draft pick, or a uh, one of those two returning, perhaps JPP or Houston. Uh, that's certainly possible. But uh, I don't think both of them will be back. What do you think about that? No, I don't think both. Um, I would probably say if you had to choose one, consider the cost. The likely cost and the skill set you're looking for, you might opt for JPP because mm-hmm. of Jabo. But Houston had a good game. Houston had a good season. If you can keep them both, um, it's just, you know, there's choices that you always have to make. And do you want to maybe put a little bit more into offense, take away from defense, considering you've had a championship defense for the entirety of the Lamar Jackson era and, era, and you haven't been able to make a deeper run? Right. So yeah, I, I think I, I think they do have to make sure they have a full set of outside linebackers. And the reason I would think JPP might be the guy is I think he gives them a little bit more on run defense. Mm-hmm. And if they're without Houston, the other thing that has me very excited is Adafi Owe finally got off his schneid last night, had a great game. Just yes, a great game. Yes, and and that's really maybe worth discussing. Now there were obviously mitigating circumstances here. Got a couple of tackles at Deniji and and Jackson Carmen who aren't particularly good, but he did other stuff in that game. Dropped into coverage, played the run well, did a bunch of things well in this game that that I think bode very well for 2023. Completely agree. Completely agree. And if you want to look at the defense on paper, looking ahead to the offseason, he's that X factor player. If he can take that step that some thought he's going to take this year, myself included. Um, then you're really looking at a formidable defense going forward. 
Yeah, no, you're right. He's he is a high ceiling player for 2023. The run defense basically turned in an identical performance to their previous week. Now, this is, is so incredible. Which week were they 20 of 55 for 2.8 yards? And which week were they eight, 18 of 51 for 2.8 yards? And I, not too many Ravens fans are going to know that unless they know they were 20 of 55 last week. But an, another great job of holding the Bengals, uh, you know, basically in check with the run. There was a a, uh, a kneel in there, so you could call it seventeen for fifty-two. So they snuck over three point three yards, but they did a very good job again of not allowing any long runs. I don't think the the Bengals again this week had even a run of ten yards. No, Mixon had one of eleven. Yep, yep. Yeah. First quarter too, if I if yeah. I recall, and that was, I mean, you look at the entirety of the game and you can maybe point to three run plays where they were able to block Roquan. And besides that, they just completely stuffed the run. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else we got to say? Lots of BOQ throws in this game. We're going to come back to that with Burrow, but a lot of quick throws to the outside. Uh, one of the things, you know, I heard was that, that they were a particular that Hurst chase others were going to be able to really dominate the area between level two and level three. I thought the Ravens did a pretty good job there. It wasn't perfect. And we're going to get into some plays where one where Clark is completely pissed off with queen um, uh, after the play, but, but there was basically, I think they did a very good job there. I thought Williams came up well on one play, made a really good one, made a good, uh, uh, I think it was called a PD, but definitely separated the player from the football. Uh, There were a few gifts thrown in there. I thought Burrow, was a little jittery, frankly, at the end of this game and not looking great on some third and short plays that ended up being key turnover, not turnovers, but punts. punts. Yeah, right. for the, for the mm-hmm. Ravens. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Burroughs, that cerebral kind of, you know, dissect the defense quarterback. Um, and it was a lot of just those – I thought the the – Coverage was better on the outside. There was just some gaps between the zones a little bit in the middle mm-hmm. of the field. And, you know, I th- honestly, I think every single player on the defense played a good game. The one thing I would nitpick would say Patrick Queen's coverage. Right. Some of that, I'm I'm not happy with uh, Marcus Peters' comportment in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be another another area. Other than that, I would agree. I think they got contributions very broadly from this defense, and I think they've done a, a good job of getting that this year. Patrick Queen also did some very nice things as a pass rusher right. that, that, that helped the team. So, uh, uh, yeah, lots lots of positive things to look forward to for 2023. And I think as we talk through this tonight, you, you're going to hear Voss, and I can already kind of hear it in his voice, that he's not really as down on this game. I don't want to speak for you. I'll let you do no. it. But I'll say I'm not that down on this game given how the Ravens went in, gave gave Cincinnati a fight. I hate that the game was decided on a one 14-point turnaround play that is now one of the ones etched in franchise history. On the other hand, I, I wouldn't have wanted it to be a 24-3 to loss either where the Ravens just did not get the job done. I agree. I, you know, it's a shame that they couldn't quite get that victory, but I'd much rather see this type of performance than – like you said, a 24 to three shellacking or something like that. So, you know, it's, it's disappointing We're we're still in the, we're in the first stage of grief, I guess. Mm-hmm. So we're still kind of accepting it and swallowing it in right now. But uh, long-term, I think there's a lot to be optimistic about this Ravens defense. If, if you're optimistic, you're already way down towards the fifth stage of grief here. And, and I think <laughs> I am too. And by the way, that is one of the good things about being an analyst guys, because you had all day at the water cooler today. And Martin Luther King Day, so you probably weren't at the water cooler, but you were. You had all day online to complain about Greg Roman, which, by the way, I'm not even sure that's that legitimate complaint from this game. But but to complain (laughs) about all of the things that didn't go right in this game, and you had other people who wanted to complain with you. I'll just tell you, being an analyst and actually going through and looking at each of these plays one at a time and saying, "Oh, that was pretty good." um, It's there's a catharsis you go through in doing that that really helps you get over bad games more. The downside is you don't get to watch as much other football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, uh, as you lose some True. of that. True. No, yeah. I would, I feel like I'm the least emotionally invested into this team for some reason, but that just the way it played out. And yeah, I think definitely being an analyst and looking at it from that perspective is helpful. So did you give up on this season in a sense at the point Lamar was injured? Maybe even at the point thinking there's no way we're going to get good news on this, seeing Lamar hobble up the stairs? Honestly, Ken, I thought that once Bateman was out and there wasn't a little bit more juice at receiver, I thought they were a playoff team and let's hope they, they fare well in the playoffs, but I didn't think they had that, that 
fifth gear, that sixth gear to, to make, to go all the way. So I said, let's see what we learn here and make the best of it and enjoy what we can. So, okay. Yeah. Definitely not a good, good year for spilling the beans in one place. And this is, you know, obviously we have this discussion a lot in terms of how much you want to invest in a single year and whatnot. The injuries mm-hmm. to Lamar Jackson have made, you know, I, I mean, I'm generally in favor of making good choices, saving cap so that you 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 can be a player at the deadline. I think is a good thing, mm-hmm. and not not putting yourself in a position where you have no flexibility at that point. You know, this year they had to trade away draft capital to mm-hmm. to effectively get Roquan and get the Bears to eat some cap mm-hmm. on, on that trade. Uh, it ended up, you know, I, the the Roquan trade itself ended up being a bad move for 2022. And hear me out on this because yeah. the Ravens didn't didn't go into the playoffs with any real chance to go anywhere, even though Roquan was fantastic himself. What it did give them is it gave them a under the table kind of market friction that they could negotiate with him as the season went along. They got the deal done. If you want to allocate a portion of the draft capital that you can, if you want to say the Ravens could have got Roquan anyway at the end of the season, it, it might not have it might not work not have worked out that way because the Ravens, you know, had the benefit of seeing who Roquan was in this defense, and that made all the difference. Sure, and I'm and I'm sure that the Ravens generated some goodwill having him at the castle, one of the best facilities around. You know, great culture, great organization, top to bottom, classy franchise, and maybe that saved you a couple million if you even if you even if you were going to get him without the trade. Okay. I'll go the other way and I'll say if Rokon plays with the Bears and he was as inconsistent as he was with the Bears early in the season, his his number goes down to 16 or 17 million and yeah. you have a chance to get him then. So <laughs> good point. I think after I he got all pro. <laughs> good point. Good point. Uh, <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right. Let's talk about some other general thoughts from this game. Burrow took four sacks. I think it was eight quarterback hits in this game. And I need to go back and check that because I know there was one double and you got to be careful when you're looking at the defensive stat sheets. So there were, you look at the defensive stat sheet, it says eight quarterback hits, but on the half sack, two quarterback hits are allocated. By the way, I don't have any, any notion why the NFL can't count half quarterback hits. There's, (laughs) there's no reason why they can't. Um, But, but there was seven quarterback hits seven times Burrow was knocked down in this game after six last week. Um, what was nice about it is he had not been sacked more than twice in the previous eight games. And the Bengals, the Ravens have now got to him six times in two weeks, uh, which is really good. Yes. And uh, Tyus Bowser, very, very strong game, I thought. And Calais, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get to it, but uh, he he really was the the linchpin, the, the driving force behind a lot of the pressures. Left it all on the field. There's no doubt about Calais Campbell. And I really, he he had zero career sacks in 14 playoff games. And had, uh, if, if had he gotten one in this game, he would have gotten to the unofficial 100 career sacks with his 99 in the regular season and one of the postseason. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen, but uh, that's just one of those things. I, he is one of the players I would really dearly love to have back, but they're going to have to restructure the deal to make it work, uh, to have him come back next year. I, 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 more than likely, I think I see him in another uniform um, next year somewhere, maybe back in Arizona, maybe again in Jacksonville, trying to get sack number 100 and going back to one of his root cities, uh, if, if either of those teams wants him. They interviewed him this afternoon, I believe, when they were cleaning mm-hmm. out the lockers. He seemed noncommittal on the fence. He might still – I mean, he certainly has some something left in the tank is on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, what is what is his cap number, Ken? I'm going to pull that up right now. Yeah, it's, it's a $6.5 million savings for cutting him. Okay. So okay. it's going to be it's going to be really difficult for the Ravens to to do that, even though I, I think they would love to have him. It's just too much of the money needed for Lamar if Lamar plays under the cap. So right, nine point four total cap number, including two point four dead seven mil cap savings. It's saying, and for ten million, he's worth that. But you got to you know you got to take it where you can, I guess. Yeah, I, they they're going to have to make some tough decisions, and another one is Gus Edwards in terms of whether or not uh yeah are you looking at otc or are you looking at one of the other i'm at i'm at otc oh you're right seven million now so that's been that's that's numbers changed that was six and a half earlier interesting hmm. okay so that's that becomes that much more difficult for the ravens to pass up obviously if they if they do that i think it's this other bonus category that there's a five hundred thousand of other bonus in there that they can somehow avoid 
maybe he maybe a like a performance escalator sack total bonus that there was worked in that they had to budget for probably well, I, that's a better question for the real cap experts so. yes yes <laughs> <laughs> well, well we'll save that for brian or or uh or, or dan or, or Reese. Dan, yeah. dan yep yep yeah uh, all right. Uh, let's see. What do we got going on here? Uh, we talked a little about Burrow. I, you know, one of the things that I thought was good was Burrow was not nearly as elusive in week 18. They did a better job of containing him than they did week 18. They look like a bunch of clowns on ice you know, <laughs> trying to get after Burrow at, at times. Yeah. Yeah. And Burrow's stronger than he looks. I mean, he, he has some of that lumberjack kind of, you know, tough to bring down. I thought Roquan, had him in the grasp once mm-hmm. and he escaped, but that's the only one I can really recall. So it cool. definitely Queen. wasn't week 18. Yeah, yeah Queen, Queen as well. Yeah, yeah, he but but his was a productive missed tackle, meaning he mm-hmm. he set up a sack minus two for that was shared earlier in the game. Um, so at least at least that didn't end up being a play. And and then when they did finally, when the game was on the line, I mean it's not a sack, but it is. Um OA ran him down on an unbelievable across the field speed play from OA. That's that is Adafi Owe being the athlete he needs to be to chase down Burrow on that play and get a, what is effectively a sack plus four, sack plus five, whatever it was on the play that ended the drive. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, he he could he was really close to three sacks in the game if you want to count that one. So he had, he had another one where he, where he, he he was there at the same time, but it was it was uh, he had front side pressure on what was what was it Bowser or Houston sack? I think it was Houston's. Okay, if I recall. All right. So, uh, in any case, uh, a g- great day from Adafi Owe that I'm sure we'll have more to say about because there's a lot more to it than than, than just those uh, uh, several plays there. Um, what was unfortunate? This was not a good game on, game on either third down or in the red zone for the Ravens. So they allowed some big third down wins, and that included five of nine when the Ravens had them at third and six or more. Most of that was in the first half, like uh, in, stretched into their first their touchdown. Your go-to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wild card round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Download the DraftKings Sportsback app and use the code FILM. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsback with the code FILM. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. 21 plus. Physically present in Maryland. Bonus bonus issued as free bets one free bet issued based on amount of initial losing nfl bet up to ten dollars eligibility wagering and deposit restrictions apply see draftkings.com slash md for full terms and conditions the go-ahead touchdown drive the second half the one that put them up 17 10 when they got the two-point conversion but they went five of nine on third down and uh on six plus when it was shorter they only went two for four so, mm-hmm. you know, that had been plaguing the Ravens recently is they've been giving up a lot of third and shorts by allowing other teams to keep on schedule and then not being able to contain them on third down. Right. Um, yeah. So 54% on third down, not one of their better showings for the year. I mean, they've had some games in the 20s and 30s, maybe even high teens, I think. Um, it, it, I, you can't really point your finger to one specific reason why, I think. It's just, you know, sometimes you just tip your hat to Joe Burrow. Yeah tossing a good ball to Jamar Chase and Jamar Chase picking up two yards and getting the first down. I mean, well, what that, can you do? <laughs> yeah, that, that was pretty much it in this game, I think, is that they, they had to have so much respect for Chase that they were they were soft on him a lot in this game. And, and it's it's not like there's really another choice. I mean, right. if, if the one time you're wrong and you guess in, in four opportunities, he's going to beat you for a long TD. So it's not like you can really afford to uh, take a chance on that. So anyway, they 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 did what they could. They got a few missed throws out of Burroughs. They got a couple other plays where somebody got in the way with their hand and Burrow grounded the ball, or Burrow didn't wasn't able to throw the ball exactly where he wanted relative to the receiver. So uh, there was some of that, but uh, but I thought that the uh, basically on third down the, the the Ravens were not quite where they had been before. But it was even worse and really in the red zone. And the Ravens did their usual thing. They made their contribution on offense of going one for four uh, in the red zone, which uh, obviously was a, an absolute killer. 
But more than that, they um, they allowed the Bengals two for two. Not more than that. Also, they allowed the Bengals two for two on their red zone opportunities. A little unfair because they did stop them from the 21-yard line one time. Well, that's really what it boils down to. Uh, there was a statistic going around. You may have seen that the Ravens were the only team to lose four games. That, or I'm sorry. They've outscored the opponent by – or out outgained the opponent by, I believe it was 120 yards in four straight playoff games. They've only won one of them. And why? I mean, it's a game of yardage. At the end of the day, the only reasons why is turnovers in red zone. That's, that's the only possible, you know, explanation. Well, yeah, turnovers generally will, will generate games like that. I'm still surprised that they're the only team ever to do that. Because uh, usually the, the trailing team, if you I mean, look at 300-yard passing games, there's a lot of trailing teams that, that, that pile up those kind of games. Let me pull it up exactly because I may sure, be no miscombining miss, miss, uh, two different stats at once. But, I mean, if it's four in a row, that's kind of understandable that there wouldn't have been a lot of times that happened four straight times. But definitely during a regular season, if you look at the team that outgains the other team, it's usually it's it, it, it I think it would bear a pretty low correlation to winning, like okay. much lower than you would expect. Yeah. But by 100. So this is according to Jameson Hensley. Ravens are the first team in NFL postseason history to outgain their opponents by 120 yards in four straight games. Four straight. So, OK, so it's one and three. The, the key yeah. is the consecutive games. I, I can understand yeah. how it wouldn't happen that often. Yeah. Yeah, it's a you know it's a great stat, uh, and that is one thing we can't use on by the numbers. That's too bad. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> we'll have to find our own stuff. That's all right. I uh, uh, want to talk packages a little bit, and then hopefully we'll get to get to a mailbag question or two before we do uh, the second part of this show. But uh, the packages were interesting this game because, and there are two big, big things that came out. First of all, the Bengals forced. Um, the nickel pretty much the entire game. They only allowed the Ravens into their base defense, which means they went heavy somehow with 12 or um, uh, 12 or 21, which I don't think they had a single snap of 21, but, but basically with 12, um, they only forced them into the base defense. And I don't look at this here three times. Those three plays went for 27 yards. They played one jumbo formation on a, on a short yardage play uh, that went for four yards. And they went one rush dime. So they did actually get the dime defense on the first. Add, added Worley as a sixth defensive back that time. That went for 10 yards. I think that might have been a third and nine that went for 10 yards. Or it might have been actually been a, a third and 19 or something. I have to go back and look at that. Was that was that the play where Roquan left to get his uh, ankle taped? I, I, will. Thought it, I thought it was. Because I was I was looking for dime, and we were talking last week about you know temp personnel and yeah how are they going to match up, and it really was just nickel, <laughs> just a whole lot of nickel. <laughs> okay, so the only play you are absolutely correct. It was the Roquan third and nine play where they got a ten yard pass. I believe that might have been to Chase again uh, to to com- to complete it for the first down, but that was yeah that was the Roquan missing play, and they they put Worley on in his stead. That's it makes a lot of sense that they do that because they've certainly become a committed nickel team with the with the personnel they have right now. Uh, somebody asked me, by the way, and this is a mailbag question that came up early. So we'll do, we're going to hit this mailbag question right now. Sure. Uh, and it was put in a way that I think I will take in the best possible way. But it sounded kind of uh, uh, the way it was. Well, it's a little snarky. <laughs> Uh, um, okay, here it is. Uh, it's from Jeff B. who says, Ken, does Smith's signing bonus uh, plus having PQ mean a bleak future for your beloved dime defense? I don't know. A little bit of snark there, but that's okay. He's, he <laughs> listens to the show. I really appreciate you, Jeff. Uh, if so, how sad are you? <laughs> Has anything this season made you rethink the need for dime, given that we've had success without it? Okay. So basically, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my answer on this, and I, I want you to comment on this as well, boss. Of course, but but the, the start is that the having a great dime defense is not just about about being you know if you if you could have two great inside linebackers who can play the way that Queen and Roquan have, then you adapt and you play the dime for that season. But it doesn't allow you flexibility of cap, and I think Voss and I would both agree that we'd like to spend less at inside linebacker in total because there's more important positions to spend that money at. Great to have Queen on early downs to go with Roquan, but I'd rather have a platoon of players at that weak side linebacker role and save what in the future could be ten million of cap or more at that position um, by, by having that platoon. And there's an additional benefit, guys, when you have that three down unicorn for at one spot, but but certainly at two. Um, 
it puts you in a very difficult position to fix it when something goes down. You, you basically have to fix it by, by acquiring a platoon, which to put together all at once can be hard. The Ravens did do it in 2019. They did it very effectively in season, pulling together that platoon at exactly the right time to, to make it really work. But I think a lot of times it's very difficult in, in season to pull together the pieces that you need to get a two-down run stuffer, combine him maybe with somebody who can give you a little bit of juice on the pass rush on second and long, combine that with a dime back you really love. Completely agree with everything there. I will add, Will, linebacker, is maybe the one position on the entire field where paying, uh, you know, the number one player at the position, so to speak, could actually make the play on the field worse because I still think that any safety is going to be better in coverage. So, well, I mean, even, even a running back, you don't want to pay a running back, but if you pay the number one guy, he's going to be – the product's going to be better, most likely. I just think I'm a huge proponent of dime right up there with you. Right. So you're making a great point. The thing that I always say is the third best coverage safety is almost always better than your second best coverage inside linebacker on any team. Any team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But but if you, if you really aren't in that situation, then you probably can find that guy on the street very cheaply. That that yeah. you know the the coverage safety. So you you failed with the cap. And this team has Marcus Williams, Kyle Hamilton, and Chuck Clark. So this would be the perfect and, and Gino Stone. You want. And Gino Stone. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you, exactly. You, you've got so, so much depth at safety that, you know, acquiring an inside linebacker actually choked out some of that value when they did. And I, I, I'm not going to say they were fortunate to be in the situation, but Kyle Hamilton was there, played incredible slot corner in the second half. He's just, he, he with Roquan is the second team MVP, as far as I'm concerned, defensively, um, you know, since he went to slot corner, okay. uh, which is pretty much about the same time that Roquan went to, uh, came to the team, maybe a little bit later for Hamilton. Um, but anyway, just his, I don't know what the team would do without Hamilton at, at, at slot corner since he, uh, uh, you know, since uh, Roquan got here. Well, uh, play, the, play the game in this game too. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely play a game. So anyway, the other thing was, I, so I talked about the rush dime. I don't know if I actually talked about this. I did not get to it yet. The rush nickel was what let the Ravens down a little bit. And it doesn't really come out to be terrible in the uh, stats because there were some sacks in there that, that kind of did it. But you think about when the rush nickel is on. What is it, first of all? Rush nickel, three outside linebackers on the field, one defensive lineman, and two inside linebackers. So it's basically a pass rush heavy. They were using OA a lot to rush from the inside in this game, which is a little bit of a departure. They've been using JPP on the inside a little bit in previous games. It's a little bit, little bit different to have Owe there. And he really, he really looked very good in that role. Got some, got some pressure and, and, uh, and obviously some sack contributions himself, but they allowed 10 plays for 62. And that was a lot of the third down conversions on the third and medium to long that we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's the best package to deploy for that. It's just like you said, like we said earlier, that's a lot of those plays are just tip your hat kind of plays. Yeah, and and also a small sample size. So you yeah. you know you you the first half when they when they had Jonah Williams active, they were a little bit more successful in that period of time before he got uh, got hurt. Obviously, the other thing, and this is really big news, and this I I hope this is something the Ravens can look at for 2022 and beyond because they've now done it two straight weeks against the Bengals. A lot of NFL teams like to force the other team into nickel personnel because they like to run into it. They don't necessarily have the personnel to block up, but they like their running back. They like light on light running styles and uh, they like a bruising, you know, physical running back to, to play behind that. And a lot of you know, the great running backs in recent years have done exactly that. Uh, not Nick Chubb. He's he's definitely one of the opposite, and not the Ravens guys. But the but the uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, a committed eleven team. The the Chiefs, you know, have been they they, they play some twelve, but they're mostly an eleven team. The Buffalo Bills, completely an eleven team. So when they've had anybody good in the backfield, they've been they've been doing this. But anyway, the the, the standard nickel, um, thirty seven plays for one hundred and thirty one yards in this game, three point five yards per play. Wow, wow. That's very impressive to be able to hold um, Cincinnati to 2.8 yards per carry playing that much nickel is, is very impressive. And that's the benefit of having a, a bigger body of physical presence like Hamilton. Uh, and that's also, I think, why the only argument for putting 
uh, Humphrey in the slot when he does go in the slot. Okay. All right. So you get, you get a more physical player there. I don't like the injury risk of Humphrey in the slot is another, another element of though. I also think it kind of minimizes who he is as an outside corner. Right. Um, the, the uh, Ravens history has, I've, I've done this a few times on the show. So some people are going to put this in the, in the list of frequently said by Ken things, but Ravens history <laughs> is, is filled with amazing ability to stop the run while in nickel. So to stop the run while in nickel, you got five defensive backs on the field. Your slot corner can make contributions, as you just mentioned. But the real thing you need, I think, is you need great edge defenders, great inside linebackers, and great defensive linemen who hold that point despite being a little bit disadvantaged by numbers. You need athletes. You need diagnosers. You need the kind of edge setters that they've had with Suggs and Johnson. You need the kind of interior players like Nada and uh, and Siragusa and Adams, even though those weren't really of the same era. Those those guys are good examples of of very big interior players. And uh, Pierce and uh, and Brandon Williams have mm-hmm. done their part in in past years. And then inside linebackers, obviously, with all of the Ravens' great line of inside linebackers, has been good at diagnosing the run, um, and that's uh, that's really helped. But that's that is a Ravens standard that I am just very happy to see as being something they can maintain because the league's certainly going to 11 personnel. That's not changing. And I don't think it is anytime soon. Anyway, I think that they're, people are pretty happy with the way they're, they're running out of 11 and being able to stop the run in 11 is really nice because then you don't have to make sacrifices with your defensive backfield. Right. And that's the defensive, you know, what, what year was it? They made the change to the, uh, the odd man front, right? The two gappers. And 2000, that's the advantage. Yeah. To, to the 2002. Rex. It was Rex, right? And they got uh, it was Nolan in that year too. Nolan, Nolan, yeah. right? Uh, and that's the whole purpose of two yappers because you you can defend against the run with yeah. with lighter personnel. So, yeah. yep. All right, outstanding. Um, so let's see if we have any other question here that kind of fits in with what we've done already. I'll look for that. If you want to look at, at uh, hashtag film study mailbag, that's where you should send your questions, folks. And Voss, if you want to look, if you see anything on this that that really fits with what we're talking about defensively here so far, looks like a lot of questions about the offense. I think we, uh, yes, I think we uh, we advertised it as offense by mistake instead of oh. defense. <laughs> damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. Okay, let's see if we've got anything left over from the defense last week. And uh, I think uh, I think our buddy Garnet had a question that still applied though. Let me see if I can find it. Well, that's sort of offensive. Why did it feel? Uh, like go ahead, go ahead, do Garnett's question. I, 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 we, we love him, so we'll, yes. we'll have it on it. Why did it why feel did, like? Go ahead. Go ahead. You go. Okay. Uh, why did it feel like we went away from everything working, every working game plan? Feels like model players had great confidence building moments, and we worked away from them. This is definitely not the first time we've seen this. So I guess you could. Doesn't really apply to the defense because the defense was doing work pretty well. <laughs> uh, so we we can talk just really briefly about this on the offense. And so I want to get you get your thoughts in Voss tonight since you're not doing the show tomorrow. We'll have we'll have Gabe Fergie on uh, tomorrow mm-hmm. to to talk about that. But but you know, let's address this because it's broad. We're expecting news to drop uh, soon about Greg Roman. Are we not? I think so. Yes. Okay. So. Uh, what, what what game plan did you see offensively that the team really went away from that was working? I mean, I guess the big news after the game was Dobbins and why didn't he get more touches and why didn't he get more touches inside the red zone? Um, I don't know. You know, Gus is a good good a good goal line back too. Um, what else were they doing? Can they run a couple more sluggos to Demarcus Robinson and, and get three? bomb touchdowns. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you're just limited. You're just so limited with the options that you have and the scheme that you're running and the the playmakers you have that, you know, I, I don't know what necessarily they could have stuck with it and that would have given them the win. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree on that. And I, I, one of the things I'll say about this is kind of the curse of Tyler Huntley and I hate to start something that's going to become a mantra here, but the the, the, the curse of Tyler Huntley is on full display last night. Mm-hmm. And and the part of the problem is he's just never got a secure grasp on the football. And I, I it wasn't I, it was Linderbaum's fault that that snap was high. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's really 
Linderbaum, 95%. But a, a really good play from Huntley could have kept that ball on. And then he goes and he makes a great play to run that ball down, get a pass off. Unbelievable. Okay. Mm-hmm. He, I, but then I, I look at the other play where he fumbles the snap that was right on the money. Then he can't get the handoff to Edwards made, which I'm not even sure was going to happen or not, but it looked like a read option play. Mm-hmm. Then he runs. It looks like he's got a beat, but he stumbles on his own right. <laughs> and, he, and doesn't get it. And I think Edwards was probably doing the right thing on that play to look ahead for a block as, a, as opposed to block the guy that who was in the backfield at that moment, because it really could have been a big play. I mean, I think it would have been 20 yards plus if if Huntley had just not stumbled on the play. Yeah, yeah. The offense, I think it just leaves such little margin for error as is presently constructed. And that's really the overarching problem. And you can every you can always come back and say, this was the defining play, this was the defining play, and they are the defining plays. But having a little bit more of a ceiling, John Harbaugh, when he fired Cameron, he said that they were like on the service road. I don't remember the exact quote, but he said they were on the service road like in New York when they're driving and next to the highway, there's a service road and you want to get onto the highway. And he said, we just couldn't get onto the highway. I didn't see how continuing to go down the service road was ever going to get us to that highway. Yeah. And that's what Greg Roman feels like at this point. That's interesting. Service road in New York. I don't really think of that. The service road, I got out of Texas for work a fair amount. And, and in Dallas where the land is very flat, they mm-hmm. have service roads that go for a long period of time. And you got every freaking crap uh chain restaurant <laughs> basically is on those service roads but but it's actually the overpasses are are kind of rare to come by because they have to build those mm-hmm. they don't have the natural kind of terrain that we have around here to to, to create that stuff that's uh, that's interesting but service roads are just they are <laughs> <laughs> not a wonderful urban feature or suburban feature i guess um yep. Agreed. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh, what what I will say, I want to talk to you about here. We, um, uh, yeah, the, I, the curse of Huntley. I wasn't quite finished with it. Obviously, showed up again on the on the uh, attempted touchdown dive. But the Ravens had any number of plays in this game where, uh, okay, the other one is on the sack he took. That sack minus nine he took. I thought he had a chance to get rid of that football, but then all of a sudden he's fumbling the ball without the pressure having gotten there yet, and he had to just basically just hold it and take the sack. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it was – and you saw a lot of good from Huntley too in this game. Yeah. It's just a shame that that's how it happened. And obviously the big play is the goal line play. That's what's going to be remembered. And, you know, as as John said, Coach Harbaugh said, you know, burrow, you know, that was – that was the – he said they should have burrowed, like Joe, you know, and anyway, that's how it's designed. And that's what everyone's been talking about all year. That's the cheat play. That's the cheat code. Everyone can do it. Any fourth down, always do it. So, well, they had the two or almost closer to the two and not the one. Yeah, but you can still call that play if you if you execute it the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a, it was a, uh, certainly looked like the thing is set up. I mean, they're almost running out of victory formation with double sniffers there. Right. And, and, you know, there, it certainly looked like it should have been a push play. And I think Harbaugh mentioned after the game that it was a push play and he took the option to dive, <laughs> right. which is uh, just a terrible choice. Now, Huntley wasn't all terrible choices in this game, but if you're depending on Huntley's elusiveness as a runner, that's proved to be a losing um, uh, bet these last few weeks. That said, he, ma- he made one of the biggest plays of the night to get them within range of a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the whatever, how long it was run that got him down to the two-yard line. Right, right. So, you know, it's just a limited offense. It just needs to be expanded. Too much relying on the quarterback to be the conductor and the playmaker at the same time. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. And definitely a guy, you know, the Ravens have done it before with a game manager. This was a game they could have won with a game manager, although they, they did rely on some of Huntley's playmaking, I think, he was probably a net neg- – he certainly was a net negative. That, that first fumble is a 14-point turnaround. That's that's going to make him be a net negative, even with the nice touchdown pass to Robinson, nice mm-hmm. on-the-money throw, really good run on the one play, the really good save on the on the bad snap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still got to say, you know, net, he cost the Ravens, you know, something from a from a, a, a Dilfer-esque performance from 2000, if you could have that again as if that would really work in today's game. But a Dilfer-esque performance, again, would have been uh, uh, kind of nice. I agree. And Dilf- Dilfer, Dilfer had a couple of nice throws that, that run, too. Yeah. It, wasn't, it, wasn't all, it wasn't all handoffs. <laughs> and, and it wasn't all Shannon Sharp catching the ball as the third receiver after Lewis and whoever the uh, – who's, who's the guy, 53? 
the tip uh, the Broncos. Yeah, it's like a long time a ski. Romanowski. It was Romanowski, I think. Yeah. Okay. And then a tip back into Shannon Sharp for a big play. And the and the third and 18 where the safety gets completely out of position. Marquez Pope, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, looked like he had money on that game. You know, <laughs> making the tackle. But anyway, anyway. Uh We'll, uh, we're going to come back for part two here. But Voss, first of all, uh, let's tell people where they can find you online and where they can find all your stuff. Yes, I am the co-managing editor at Baltimore Beatdown. And you can find me on Twitter at Vasilis Beatdown, V-A-S-I-L-I-S. Beatdown. Right. <laughs> so. One of our regular and favorite guests. Obviously, Voss, you hear him on this show a fair amount. But that's uh, we have our favorite people on as much as they'll come. And Voss has been wonderful to, to do this on a fairly regular basis. Uh other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. The off-season is the perfect time. And we'll be doing a lot of shows that'll be going on. But one show I want to do is a key play in Ravens history. You can talk about any play in Ravens history, and we'll discuss it in a little bit of depth in about 15 minutes. And this is in a real attempt to try and keep these shows bite-sized, see if there's an audience out there for more bite-sized material that gets into some depth, some historical thing. So the more that a play has in terms of the combination of Raven's history, um, some good human interest stories or some good irony that comes out of that play is always good. Uh, Anything interesting statistically about that play doesn't have to be that. Anything that makes you passionate about a fan, anything that related directly to your own experiences and how you went through this. That's what I'm looking for in this series. I'd like to hear from you. Uh, hit me up with DM. Always open on Twitter. And I'll get back to you very soon and, and, and schedule you for this new series of shows. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, Voss, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. And we'll talk to you on part two in just a few minutes. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.